Chapter Ten of Grace Harlowe's Senior Year at High School by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: Christmas with Judge. It was Christmas Eve, and the great soft flakes of snow that fell continuously gave every indication of a white Christmas. The north wind howled and blustered through the treetops, making the judge and his young guests congratulate themselves on being safely sheltered from the storm. The day had been clear and cold, and the entire party had driven on bobsleds to the strip of woods just outside the town, where the boys had cut down a Christmas tree and had brought it triumphantly home, while the girls had piled the sleds with evergreens and ground pine. On the return a stop had been made at the market, and great quantities of holly had been bought. Even the sprig of mistletoe for the chandelier in the hall had not been forgotten. "'We'll hurry up and get everything ready before the judge comes in,' planned Grace. "'We'll put this mistletoe right here, and Nora, you must see to it that you lead him over until he stands directly under it. Then we will all surround him. Miriam, will you tell Miss Putnam? We want her to be in it, too.' The young folks worked untiringly, and a little before five the last trail of ground pine was in place, and the decorators stood back and reviewed their work with pride. The great hall and drawing-room had been transformed into a veritable corner of the forest, and the red holly-berries peeping out from the green looked like little flame-coloured heralds of Christmas. Here and there a poinsettia made a gorgeous blot of colour, while on an old-fashioned mahogany what-not stood an immense bowl of deep red roses, the joint contribution of the Phi Sigma Tau. "'It looks beautiful,' sighed Jessica. "'We really ought to feel proud of ourselves.' The entire party was grouped about the big drawing-room. "'I'm always proud of myself,' asserted Hippy. In the first place there is a great deal of me to be proud of, and in the second place I don't believe in hiding my light under a bushel. Now, Jessica, you have started him, said David with a groan. He'll talk about himself for an hour unless Reddy and I lead him out. I dare you to lead me out, defied Hippy. I never take a dare, replied David calmly, making a lunge for Hippy. Come on, Reddy. Reddy sprang forward, and Hippy was hustled out, chanting as he went. Now, children, do not blame me, for I have so much to say, that from myself I really cannot tear myself away, and remained outside for the space of two minutes, when he suddenly reappeared wearing Grace's coat and Miriam Nesbit's plumed hat, and performed a wild dance down the middle of the room that made his friends shriek with laughter. Hippy, when will you be good? inquired Miriam, as she rescued her hat and smoothed its ruffled plumes. "'Never, I hope,' replied Hippy promptly. "'That's the judge's ring,' cried Grace, as the sound of the bell echoed through the big room, and the guests flocked into the hall to welcome their host. "'This is what I call a warm reception,' laughed Judge Putnam, as he stood surrounded by laughing faces. "'I claim the privilege of escorting Judge Putnam down the hall,' cried Nora, and she conducted him directly to where the mistletoe hung. "'I must be an object of envy to you young men,' chuckled the judge, as he walked unsuspectingly to his fate. "'The mistletoe! The mistletoe! You're standing under the mistletoe!' was the cry, and the seven girls and Miss Putnam joined hands and circled around the judge. Then each girl in turn stepped up and imprinted a kiss on the good old judge's cheek. "'Well, I never!' exclaimed the old gentleman, but there were tears in his blue eyes, and his voice trembled as he said to his sister, who was the last to salute him, 
It takes me back over the years, Mary. It was a merry part that ran upstairs to dress for dinner that night, and the spirit of Christmas seemed to have settled down upon the judge's borrowed household. The only thing that had dimmed Grace Harlowe's pleasure in the least was the passage at arms that had occurred between herself and Henry Hammond. Grace's conscience smote her. She felt that she should not have spoken to him as she had, even though she disliked him. To be sure, his remark about Marian's gown had caused her inwardly to accuse him of influencing Marian to make herself ridiculous in the eyes of her friends, but she could not forgive herself for having unthinkingly spoken as she had done. After due reflection, Grace decided that she had acted unwisely, and made up her mind that she would try to make amends for her unkind retort. She decided, however, to see if she could not persuade Marian to go back to her usual style of dress. Grace hurried through her dressing, and, looking very sweet and wholesome in her dainty blue organdy, knocked at the door of the room occupied by Marian and Eva Allen. "'Come in,' cried Eva's voice, and Grace entered, to find Eva completely dressed in a pretty white pongee, eyeing with great disfavour the tight-fitting princess gown of black silk that the maid was struggling to hook Marian into. "'Marian!' exclaimed Grace. Whatever made you have a black evening gown? It makes you look years older than you are. That's exactly what I told her, said Eva Allen, but she won't believe it. Marian looked sulky, then said rather sullenly, I really can't see what difference it makes to you girls what I wear. I haven't interfered with you in the matter of your gowns, have I? No, replied Grace truthfully. But, Marian, I think the judge likes to see us in the simple evening dresses we have been accustomed to wearing, and as we are his guests, we ought to try and please him. Besides, you would look so much better in your white embroidered dress, or your pink silk, that you wore to commencement last year. I don't agree with you at all, replied Marian so stiffly that the maid smiled openly as she put the final touches to Marian's hair preparatory to adjusting the cluster of puffs that had completed her astonishing coiffure the night before. Furthermore, I have been assured by persons of extreme good taste that my new gowns give me a distinct individuality I have never before possessed. That person of extreme good taste is named Hammond, thought Grace. That remark about individuality sounds just like him. I'll make one more appeal to her. Going over to where Marian stood viewing herself with satisfaction in the long mirror, Grace slipped her arm around her old friend. Listen, dear, she coaxed, we mustn't quarrel on Christmas Eve. You know we're all Fee Sigma Taus, and it seems so strange to see you looking so stately and grown up. Put on your white dress tonight, just to please me. But Marian drew away from her, frowning angrily. "'Really, Grace,' she exclaimed, "'you are too provoking for any use, "'and I wish you would mind your own business "'and let me wear what I choose.' "'Please pardon me, Marian,' said Grace, "'turning toward the door. "'I am sorry to have troubled you, "'and was gone like a flash.' "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Marian Barber,' "'burst forth Eva. "'The idea of telling Grace to mind her own business, "'you haven't been a bit like yourself lately, "'and I know that it's all on account of that Henry Hammond, "'the old snake.' "'You will oblige me greatly, Eva, by referring more respectfully to my friend Mr. Hammond,' said Marian, with offended dignity. Then she sailed out of the room, her train dragging half a yard behind her, while Eva turned to the mirror with a contemptuous sniff, and powdered her little freckled nose almost savagely, before following her irate roommate downstairs. End of chapter 10